Max Mummeride, Book 5, Max, Prologue, The Madness Never Stops, near Los Angeles Basin, California. There. Devin raised his right arm and focused directly over his wrist. It took him less than a millisecond to calculate the trajectory. He didn't have a built-in computer, but his 220 IQ served him well. He slowly breathed in and out getting ready to squeeze the trigger between breaths, between heartbeats. His sensitive nose wrinkled as the ever-present smog that hovered over the Los Angeles basin filled his lungs. He hated to think what the pollutants were doing to his brain cells, but accepted that some things were necessary evils. There. His light eyes expertly tracked the objects flying overhead. One, two, three, four, five, six. Seven? There was a small seventh object, unexpected but quickly determined to be unimportant. Actually, all of them were unimportant. All but one. The one in front. He knew they had raptor vision. He merely had extraordinary eyesight. It was good enough. All the same, the crosshairs in the gun sight attached to his wrist made missing an impossibility. He never missed. That's why they saved him for extra special missions like this one. Many, many others had already failed at this task. Devin felt utter disdain for them. To kill one bird kid. How hard could it be? They were flesh and blood. Ridiculously fragile. It wasn't like bullets bounced off them. Once more, Devin raised his arm and observed his prey. Catching her neatly in the crosshairs as if they could pin her to the sky. The flock flew, perfectly spaced, in a large arc overhead, the one called Maximum in front, flanked by the two large males, then a smaller female, then a smaller male, and the smallest female after him. A little black object, not birdkid-shaped, struggled to keep up. Devin couldn't identify it. It hadn't been in his dossier. The closest thing he could imagine was if someone grafted wings onto a small dog or something, as unlikely as that was. But Max was the only one he was concerned with. It was Max he was supposed to kill. Max, whom he kept catching in his sights. Devin sighed and lowered his arm. This was almost too easy. It wasn't sporting. He loved the chase. The hunt the split-second intersection of luck and skill that allowed him to exercise his perfection, his inability to miss. He looked down at what used to be his right hand. One could get used to having no right hand. It was surprisingly easy. And it was also so superior to have this lovely weapon instead. It wasn't as crude as simply having a Glock 18 grafted to the stump of an amputated limb. It was so much more elegant than that. So much more of a miracle of design and ingenuity. This weapon was part of him, physically. Responsive to his slightest thought, triggered by almost imperceptible nerve firings in the interface between his arm and the weapon. He was a living work of art, unlike the bird kids flying in traceable patterns overhead. Devin had seen the posters, the advertisements. Those naive, do-gooder idiots at the Coalition to Stop the Madness had organized this whole thing, this air show, this demonstration of supposedly evolved humans. Wrong. The bird kids were ill-conceived accidents. 
He, Devon, was truly an evolved human. The CSM zealots were wasting their time, and everyone else's. Using the Burn Kids to promote their own agenda was a typically selfish, short-sighted thing to do. Manipulating and taking advantage of lesser creatures in order to save even lesser creatures? It was a joke. A joke that could not be perpetrated without this flock of examples. And the flock could not survive without its leader. Once again, Devin raised his arm and closed his left eye to focus through the gun sight on his wrist. He angled the Glock a millimeter to the left and smoothly tracked his target as she arced across the sky. One breath in, one breath out. One heartbeat, two heartbeats. And here we go. Part 1. Freaks and M-Geeks. Chapter 1. And a one, and a two, Nudge said, leaning into a perfect 45-degree angle. Her tawny russet wings glowed warmly in the afternoon sunlight. Behind her, the gasman made squealing brake sounds as he dropped his feet down and slowed drastically. Hey, watch gravity in action, he yelled, folding his wings back to create an unaerodynamic eight-year-old. His blonde hair blown straight up by the wind. I rolled my eyes. Gazzy, stick to the choreography. He was sinking fast, and I had to bellow to make sure he heard me. This is a paying job. Don't blow it. Okay, they were paying us mostly in donuts, but let's not quibble. Even from this high up, I could hear the exclamations of surprise, the indrawn gasp that told me our captive audience below had noticed one of us dropping like a stone. I'd give him five seconds, and then I'd swoop down after him. One, two... I wasn't sure about this whole air show thing to begin with. But how could I refuse my own mom? After our last working vacation, an ant freaking Artica, my mom and a bunch of scientists had created an organization called the Coalition to Stop the Madness, or CSM. Basically, they were trying to tell the whole world about the dangers of pollution, greenhouse gases, dependence on foreign oil. You get the picture. Already, more than a thousand scientists, teachers, senators, and regular people had joined the CSM. One of the teacher members had come up with the traveling airshow idea to really get the message out. I mean, blue angels, smew angels. But flying mutant bird kids? Come on, who's gonna pass that up? So here we were, flying perfect formations, doing tricks, air dancing. La la la, the six of us in total, whose wings by now had pretty much finished developing. He could fly at least, but he wasn't exactly Barishnikov. If Barishnikov had been a small, black, scotty dog with wings, that is. By the time I'd counted to four, the guestman had ended his freefall and was soaring upward again, happiness on his relatively clean face. Hanging out with the CSM folks had some benefits, chiefly food and decent places to sleep. And, of course, seeing my mom, which I would never be able to get enough of, after living the first 14 years of my life not even knowing she existed. I explain this all in earlier books, if you want to go get caught up. Yo, said Fang, hovering next to me. My heart gave a little kick as I saw how the sun glinted off his deeply black feathers, which matched his eyes, and his hair. You enjoying being a spokes freak? I asked him casually, looking away. One side of his mouth moved, 
The Fang version of unbridled chortling. He shrugged. It's a job. Yep. So long as they don't worry about pesky child labor laws, I agreed. We're an odd little band, my fellow flock members and I. Fang, Iggy, and I are all 14, give or take. So, officially, technically, legally, we're minors. But we've been living on our own for years, and regular child protection laws just don't seem to apply to us. Come to think of it, many regular grown-up laws don't seem to apply to us either. Nudge is 11, roughly. The Gasman is 8-ish. Angel is somewhere in the 6 range. I don't know how old Total is, and, frankly, what with the calculation of dog years into human years, I don't care. Suddenly, out of nowhere, Angel dropped down onto me with all. Suddenly, out of nowhere, Angel dropped down onto me with all her forty-one pounds of feathery fun. Oof! What are you doing, goofball? I exclaimed, dipping about a foot. Then I heard it. The high-pitched, all-too-familiar whine of a bullet streaking past my ear, close enough to knock some of my hair aside. In the next second, Total yelped piercingly, spinning in midair, his small black wings flapping frantically. Angel's quick instincts had saved my life, but Total had taken the hit. Chapter 2 In the blink of an eye, I rolled a full 360, spinning in the air, swooping to catch Total and also performing evasive maneuvers that, sadly, I'd had way too much practice doing. Scatter! I shouted. Get out of firing range! We all peeled away, our wings moving fast and powerfully, gaining altitude like rockets. I heard applause floating up to me. They thought this was part of the act. Then I looked down at the limp black dog in my arms. Total! I said, holding his chunky little body. Total! He blinked and moaned. I'm hit, Max. They got me. I guess I'm gonna live fast, die young, and leave a beautiful corpse, huh? Okay. In my experience, if you're really hit or seriously hurt, you don't say that much. Maybe a few bad words. Maybe grunting sounds. You don't manage pithy quotes. Quickly, I shifted him this way and that, scanning for wounds. He had both ears, and his face was fine. I patted along his wings, which still looked too short to keep him aloft. Bright red blood stained my sleeve, but so far he seemed to be in one unperforated piece. Telekila, Total gasped, eyelids fluttering. Tell her she's always been the only one. Akila is the Alaskan Mammut Total had fallen for back on the Windy Cay, the boat where we lived with a bunch of scientists on our way to Antarctica. Shh. I said. I'm still looking for holes. I don't have many regrets, Total rambled weakly. True, I thought about a career in theater, once our adventures waned. I know it's just a crazy dream, but I always hoped for just one chance to play the Dane before I died. Play the huh? I said absently, feeling his ribs. Nothing broken. Is that a game? Total moaned and closed his eyes. Then I found it. The source of the blood. The place where he'd been shot. Total? I said, and got a slight whimper. You have a boo-boo on your tail. 
What? He opened his eyes and curled a peer at his short tail. He wagged it experimentally, outrage appearing on his face as he realized a tiny chunk of flesh was missing near the tip. I'm hit. I'm bleeding. Those scoundrels will pay for this. I think a band-aid is probably all you need. I struggled to keep a straight face. Fang swerved closer to me, big and supremely graceful, like a black panther with wings. Oh god, I'm so stupid. Forget I just said that. How's he doing? Fang asked, nodding at Total. He needs a band-aid, I said. A look passed between me and Fang, full of suppressed humor, relief, understanding, love. Forget I said that too. I don't know what's wrong with me. Got your sniper, Fang went on, pointing downward. I shifted into battle mode. One sniper or a whole flotilla of baddies? Only see the one. I raised an eyebrow. So, what, we're not worth a whole flotilla anymore? I looked down at Total. Wings out, Spud. You gotta fly on your own. Total gathered himself with dignity, extended his wings, and jumped awkwardly out of my arms. He flapped frantically, then with more confidence, and rose to keep up with us. What's up? Iggy had coasted on an updraft for a while, but now he and the others were forming a bird kid sandwich around me. Total's okay, I reported. One sniper below. We gotta go take him out. Angel's pure white wing brushed against me. She gave me a sweet smile that melted my heart, and I tried to remember that this kid had many layers. Not all of them made of gumdrops and roses. Thanks, Lammy, I said, and she grinned. I felt something bad was about to happen, she explained. Can we go get that guy now? Let's do it, I said, and we angled ourselves downward. Among the many genetic enhancements we sport, the mad scientist who created us had thoughtfully included raptor vision. I raked the land below, almost a mile down, and traced the area where Fang pointed. I saw him, a lone guy in the window of a building close to the airbase. He was tracking us, and we began our evasive actions, dropping suddenly, swerving, angling different ways, trying to be as unpredictable as possible. We are fairly good at being unpredictable. Masoom? Fang asked, and I nodded. Ig, Masoom. Angle down about 35 degrees. Then aim for 6 o'clock, I instructed. And why was I only giving Iggy instructions? Because Iggy's the only blind one, that's why. We were moving fast, really fast, dropping at a trajectory that would smash us into the sniper's window in about 8 seconds. We'd practiced racing feet first through open windows a thousand times, one right after another, bam bam bam. So this was more of a fun challenge than a scary death-defying act of desperation. The two things look very similar in our world. Seven, six, five. I counted silently. When I got to four, the window exploded outward, knocking me head over heels. Chapter 3 Three days later Here, in no particular order, is a massively incomplete list of things that make me twitchy. 1. Being indoors, almost anywhere. 2. 
places with no easy exits. 3. People who promise me tons of benefits and assume that I don't see right through the crapola to the stark truth that actually, they want me to do a bunch of stuff for them. 4. Being dressed up. So, it won't take a lot of imagination on your part to guess how I reacted to our appointment at a Hollywood talent agency. Come on in, guys, said the most gorgeous woman I'd ever seen. She flashed us glowing white teeth and tossed back her perfect auburn hair as she ushered us through the heavy wooden door. I'm Sharon. Welcome. I could see her trying to avoid looking at our various bruises, scrapes, and cuts. Well, if you're six feet away from a building when it explodes at you, you're gonna get a little banged up. Fact of life. We were in a big office building in Hollywood. If you've been keeping up with our nutty, action-packed shenanigans, you'll remember how incredibly bad experiences we've had inside office buildings. They're pretty much my least favorite place to be, right after dungeons and hospitals, but before dog crates and science labs. Call me quirky. A member of the CSM had a friend who had a friend who had a cousin who was married to someone who knew someone at this huge, important Hollywood talent agency and volunteered us for an interview without asking us. The CSM thought we spokesbirds were doing a bang-up job of getting their message out. Emphasis on bang, given the suicide sniper. But more on that later. Come in, come in. A short, balding guy in a flashy suit waved us in. Big smile in place. I ratcheted up my DEFCON level to orange. I'm Steve Blackman. There were four of them all together. Three guys and Sharon with the great hair. She blinked when Total trotted in after us, a small white bandage still covering the tip of his tail. He'd gotten more mileage out of that wincy flesh wound than I've gotten out of broken ribs. Good God, I heard Total mutter as he looked at the woman. She can't be real. Max, said Steve, holding out his hand. May I call you Max? No. I frowned and looked at his hand until he pulled it back. The two other guys introduced themselves, and we just stood there, unsmiling. Actually, Nudge smiled a little. She loved stuff like this. She'd even worn a skirt. Angel was wearing a pink tutu over her jeans. My clothes were at least clean and not blood-spattered, which is about as good as it ever gets with me. Well, said Steve, rubbing his hands together. Let's sit down and get to know each other, huh? Can we get you something to drink? You kids hungry? We're always hungry, said the gasman seriously. Steve looked taken aback. Ah, oh, yes, of course. Growing kids. He was trying hard not to look at our wings, with limited success. He reached over and tapped a button on his desk which was so big you could practically land a chopper on it. Jeff, how about some drinks and snacks in here? Thanks. Please, sit down, Sharon said with another hair toss. I made a mental note to practice doing that in the mirror next time I saw one. It seemed a useful skill, right up there with the roundhouse kicks. We sat, making sure no one was in back of us or could sneak up on us. I was wound so tight, I was about to break out in hives. A young guy in a purple striped shirt came in with a tray of sodas, glasses of ice, and little nibbly things on several plates. 
They're tapas, he explained. This one's calamari, and this one's... Thanks a million, Jeff. Steve cut him with a smile. Jeff straightened and left, closing the door quietly behind him. Then, as we fell on the food like hyenas, Steve turned to us again, looking so dang enthusiastic that I wondered how much coffee he'd had this morning. So, you kids want to be big stars, eh? God, no, I said, almost spewing crumbs. No way. Oddly, this seemed to throw a petite wrench into the combo. Hey, and thanks for listening to another episode of Maximum Crime, a Maximum Raid bootleg audiobook podcast thing. I am your Olive at Marky, and I forgot to say, we, we finished that last book, last episode. It kind of crept up on me, but uh, yay, we finished it. Uh, I already have that posted on the YouTube channel, if you want to go check that out. That is Avian Dalek Audio and is always linked in the show notes if you want to check that out. So now we're starting the fifth book, and as soon as I read the first line, I remembered exactly what went down in this book, so strapping folks, we are in for an adventure. Alrighty, let's get into the recommendation for this week. This week's recommendation is the podcast Archive 81. So this was recently made into a show on Netflix as well, which I also watched, but I watched it a couple months ago, so I've kind of forgotten most of it. But uh, I started listening to the podcast at work recently, and it's really interesting. The first season is a bit slow, but it really starts to pick up in the second season. It's about this guy named Dan who gets a job restoring tapes for this company that he doesn't know a whole lot about. And as he listens to the tapes, he finds a thread of a woman named Melanie who is researching this really strange apartment for her historical society. And as Dan listens, he starts to notice some strange things about the apartments. It reminds me of the Magnus Archives a little bit, but less spooky, kind of. And the TV show really reminds me of Sally Face if you've ever played that game before or watched somebody play it. But yeah, I just started season two yesterday and I'm very intrigued and I can't wait to keep listening. Once again, that is the podcast Archive 81 and I will link that in the show notes. If you want to leave me a rating review, that would be super cool of you to do. And if you want to get in contact with me, you can email me at MaximumCrimePod at gmail.com or hit me up on my Tumblr over at Maximum-Crime-Pod. Alrighty, I think that's all I gotta say for this time. So, until next time, fly on.